When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. Uh, I am your host, Blaine Bartlett. Um, my guest today, uh, Dr. Grant Tate, um, who is the uh, CEO of a company called Bridge Business Transformations. Keyword there being transformations. That's what I wanted to have him on the show for. Um, yeah, Grant has been um, in business you know, as long as I have. I, I got a hunch here. Uh, he was with IBM for 30 years. Uh, he's been around the world um, and Bridge Business Transformations. Uh, he originally founded it uh, uh, back in 1993, if I've got my numbers correct. And uh, so the company's been around for a while. And the clients with whom he works, um, they the, the focus is on, yeah, and I'm going to put this in my vernacular uh, just so we can kind of keep the uh, the theme steady here. But yeah, my bias is that every company's got a soul, at least when it starts out. Uh, but as the uh, gestation period and the maturation period occurs, uh, typically that company loses its soul, loses connection to it. And so part of what I want to look at here, and this is where the transformation piece comes in, is how do we work with companies that have lost their soul to regain their soul? How do we find out in you know, kind of a uh, early warning system here so that we can get in front of, are we risking losing our soul as a, as a company? And what's the consequence of that if we're not paying attention? I mean, all of those sorts of things. And um, Dr. Grant Tate has got, I think, a pretty good take on what this is about. He's got a new book that's coming out, uh, that has come out, uh, Hands on the Shoulder, Finding Freedom in the Confluence of Love and Career. And I wanna mark that out because we're gonna have a conversation about that book a little bit later uh, in uh, the, uh, the interview here. Um, because one of my best friends, one of my good friends, a fellow by the name of uh, Raj Sisodia, wrote a book, uh, not only Conscious Capitalism, but he wrote a book that uh, preceded Conscious Capitalism that was called Firms of Endearment. Firms of Endearment. And I love that title. I love that book title. Um, but it spoke to companies that had love as part of their uh, the value core. And they uh, are... Uh, heads and shoulders above some of the other competition that they find themselves uh, up against. And the reason that they're head and shoulders above is this piece around love. So all of that, you have know, to say, um, as a kind of a preamble here, uh, Grant Tate, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here and love this topic. And I'm really eager to get going in this conversation because I think we have a lot to talk about. I think we do too. So I'll just uh, just jump in with both feet here. When when you hear the term "the soul of business," you know what does that you know, what does that evoke for you? I mean, you've worked with a lot of firms. You've got your own firm. Yeah, and so one of the things that quickly pops to mind, of course, is what are the values on which the company is formed, 
And of course, that's common these days when we think about a strategic plan, we go back to the values. When I, I became a manager, as an example, the man that I reported to took me into the office and said, Grant, here are the three values. And it's we look to you and every other leader in the company to carry these out every day. And we don't fire a lot of people around here, but the, the people that get fired from management positions violate one of these, particularly respect for the individual. And they, then that was further perpetuated. The next thing that happens, management school. Full, full week in, in a, there wasn't a resort at the time, but a, a, an off-site location. And not only did they drill those things in, but here's how you implement it in terms of dealing with your employees. Furthermore, the executives, the top executives of the company came to those classes. And basically, in my interpretation now, we mean it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So, and then they, but you saw that play out in the actions of the executives and the way that they handle the, the questions and and any a any person in the company who had a concern could find uh, could walk right into the CEO's office and talk about a concern and that mm -hmm. was called the open open door so there a lot of policies like that and that really perpetuated the values and later in my career throughout the 30 years, I believe mainly through the actions of one particular uh, individual started to lose those values. And I had some personal experiences with that CEO that demonstrated to me he wasn't particularly concerned about people. He was all about numbers. And that that was what started to perpetuate all the top level meetings and the examples. Yeah. And uh, I had a, had a very strange case. I was, well, one of the odd things about my IBM careers, I had, I think 15 executive of management jobs and every one but two was either to start an organization or turn around an organization. And I was sent to turn around this uh, big software lab. We had uh, 900 people just turning out code every day. We were, we were responsible for the biggest logistics system in IBM. You, somebody ordered a computer, and that's how we got it all done. And that time, we developed all those things ourselves. I got a call from the CEO's office, and he said, Frank Carey, the CEO, wants to come visit the site. And here's the thing he wants to talk about. One, two, three, four. I go, okay. We have a story here. We're trying to turn around the morale of the place. The story is the turnaround story. It's all about the people. So the day that Frank Carey shows up, he comes to the meeting and says, I don't want to hear that. I want to hear all about your programs. And my reaction was, what? <laughs> and he basically, we had to scramble around and 
change our whole agenda because basically he pulled the rug out on us. He was not interested at all in what we were doing to help people. I don't. I never knew the motive behind that that move, but I, and I don't know whether his assistant was misled or lied or what. <laughs> but it was. It soured me on on Frank Carey as a CEO and said, "Whoa, wait a minute! This is a, we're putting all of our effort in this turnaround job, and he's not interested in that. He wants to hear." What about the software we're developing? Then a later, we were we were told to not tell the truth to the people. I said, "No way, my people are going to get get the straight scoop," and and that's uh, I don't know what you're doing up there in HR, but this is not right. Uh, and th- and there were lots of other little ways, but uh, I think the. Another factor, of course, was that while Frank Carey was doing this, there was a suit from the Justice Department that affected how things were done in the company. And I think that it lost a lot of its its verve as a result of that. Yeah. Yeah, there's... And, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, this is... And, 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 and how, how did it affect all of, all of the people? then the thing that held us all together with these core values really deteriorated and people were saying, well, where are we going? You know, what's really important? And uh, it, 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 was, it was a sad time for the, for the company. Yeah, I, and I love those two questions. Where are we going and what's really important? Right. And the fundamental shift from, yeah, what's really important are the values. Right. How, how, how we actually comport ourselves. When that begins to disappear, then it's an open season. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and I was sent to this software lab to fix it, essentially on a contract from the division manager that says, he said, we'll appoint you head of it, go out there and, and do an analysis to find out what, what we need to do to fix it and come back and tell me. And I came back with my charts and we said, here's what I found out after interviewing everybody and looking at all the data. and Here's what I'm going to do about it. Here are the steps. And he said, how long is it going to take? And I said, two years. And he said, keep those charts. <laughs> and all those indicators were, yes, there were budget targets. Yes, but primarily, what, how are we going to deal with the, the people, the morale indicators, all of those things? It was a turnaround job, pure and simple. Yeah. And, and so that was the, the score on my performance was based on my ability to take a piece of the organization that had lost its soul, didn't know where it was going or what its mission was really, uh, disillusioned people, and point them in a, in a new revised direction. You know, what, what I, and I use the word love here uh, very, very cautiously because this is, you know, an all too common story uh, in businesses and in my experience, you know, the toxicity of most organizations is evidenced in what it is that you're what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. It's the focus, you know, energy follows attention. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it truly does. So if the attention is not on the people, it's on the numbers, it's on productivity, um, the cogs in the wheel, and they are treated as such, become superfluous and replaceable. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you've got some toxicity and uh, 
and then Gallup starts to measure disengagement numbers, yeah, and all of a sudden it's eighty-seven percent, and it doesn't, and that number doesn't change for twenty-some odd years. People are disengaged, emotionally disengaged from work, and you you can't wonder why. the The why is answered just in the description mm -hmm. of what you're describing, yeah, presenting here. Um, it's easy to lose that connection. I, mean, I remember, yeah, honestly, Grant, uh, when I was working with Nokia. Uh, I you know, worked with Nokia as an external consultant for about 12 years and uh, ran a major portion of their leadership development group. And I remember very distinctly when I first started working with them, they had four core values. Respect for the individual was one of them. But every single meeting that I was ever in in that 12-year tenure with Nokia, in some way, shape, or form, those four, uh, those four values were touched on. If a decision was being made, it was referenced mm -hmm. through the lens of one of those values or all of those values, uh, if appropriate. And there were in Yorma you know, Olela, who was the chairman or mm -hmm. the CEO at the time, moved up mm -hmm. to the chairman's position, but they brought in a new CEO. And all of a sudden, things got different. Um, the conversation wasn't about values any longer. And as a consequence of that, I mean, you fast forward and and you know, the, the house burned down and it wasn't what it was. It wasn't what it could have been. Yeah, I lost you yeah. for a few seconds there. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah. But, but I think you could probably got the gist of the idea here. I sure, mean, it, right. It, uh, well, I, th I think another thing that's important is that, that sort of reinforcement, but also demonstration. And I had an example, I was working with a healthcare organization for senior living and working with the, the head of the, 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 that operation. And somehow on the topic came up that a client had fallen out of the bed in one of the units. And uh, I said, well, what are you doing about it? And he said, what do you mean? You know, we only have, uh, <clears throat> we have, only 7.9 events like that a year, and the national average is 12. I don't know what the numbers were exactly, but you get the gist. Yeah. And then I said, did you go down and talk to the person? See how that person is? How he, how, how he felt after that? Or how did the nurses react? He said, well, you know, uh, the statistics are okay. And, and so, but that lack of empathy is is a key that something's not right. Yep. Yeah, when, when we think about compassion, compassion cannot be present in a business environment or any environment unless the experience of connection is there. Right. If, if I don't feel connected to you know, the people, um, mm -hmm. yeah, then it becomes uh, uh, this, this stark, sterile exercise. Right. Um, yeah, so... Um, you know, we've talked about, you know, the migration of loss, mm -hmm. uh, you know, disconnection. Uh, two things that I want to be sure that we touch on here is how do we regain it once it's been lost? We notice that it's mm -hmm. been lost. How do we regain that? And so, you know, your turnaround story may be part of that. And I got a hunch it probably is. Mm -hmm. But also, um, there's uh, some, some data, you know, there's, there's a couple of models that speak to the nature of soul. And it gives us some guide, you know, basically a roadmap when we're looking at intrinsic, extra, uh, extrinsic, and systemic 
you know, dynamics mm -hmm. that the soul actually exhibits that we can pay attention to as leaders. So before we jump into that, um, I am going to take a very quick break. Okay. And good. we will come back and uh, talking with Grant Tate right now, Dr. Grant Tate, Bridge Business Transformations. He's the CEO there and he does some phenomenal work in actually transforming the way that businesses function. And it's all organized around strong relationships and in, in curating. And I use the word curating very specifically here, curating relationships. The business case for doing so is profound. So we'll be right back, folks. I want to thank you for listening. Um, I want to also invite you right now to go to blainebartlett.com. And on that site, which is my personal website, you'll see uh, services up on the top menu. I'd like you to click on Leadership Mastermind. Now, why I want you to do that is we have uh, structured a mastermind program that is very unusual and it is very powerful. And by going onto that site and clicking that link, you'll be taken to a landing page that is an invitation to join this mastermind. It's a 52-week-long exploration of what it takes to be a highly effective leader in today's fast-changing environment. You won't regret it. And if you've been liking what you've been listening to on these Soul of Business podcasts, how does one become a leader that can keep connection to the soul of business? That's what we look at. That's what we're about in this mastermind program. So again, go to blainebartlett.com and click on the services link. And there you'll find the link to the leadership mastermind program. Look forward to seeing you there. Thanks for listening to this little commercial. And now back to our show. Welcome back. Um, well, Grant, uh, before we took that break, um, we were talking about how things go downhill. <laughs> right. Well, I how think we uh, no, we, you, you mentioned the construct of, of the soul and the values and such. And uh, the model is uh, it, that I use to think about this is one developed by Robert Hartman, who was... You made, his, his main concern was axiology, and he developed formal axiology, which was the mathematics of values. Right. He, he said that values are constructed in a hierarchy, and he called that hierarchy, starting at the bottom, systemic, which is how do we define the structures and definitions and rules and for empathy and concern and compassion and those sort of infinite elements. So if we look at an organization, a good example, I think, is uh, DEI programs today. Mm -hmm. yeah. And and so, you know, step one is, well, we're going to have the right kind of policies. That's a systemic value. Set the policies in place, the ground rules people are going to use. Extrinsic would be, how do we have teams work together so that they can be equal and, and and help each other? And uh, how do we develop the skills and everybody? So regardless of race or creed or whatever, they are uh, have equal opportunities and such. And then the highest value is, how do we care about each other? How do we create the empathy and concern and the lack of bias? And that of course is the hardest one for us to 
develop? How do you change somebody who has no empathy? Is one of the things we people in coaching uh, mm -hmm. work on all the time. Can I really lift that that uh, element of of, of of empathy? The answer to that, by the way, is yes. Yes, <laughs> we can. <laughs> we can. <laughs> Takes a while. And of course, as the old joke says, how many psychiatrists does it take to change a light bulb? And the answer is only one if the bulb wants to change. Mm -hmm. If someone recognizes that they are emphasizing too many other things other than their concern for other people or their empathy, and they really want to change the way that they behave and their habits, then with good practice and coaching, you can they can change that. Yeah. And I, I, and I like that framing, you know, this is for me, you know, the most effective coaches I've ever worked with. And I've had coaches all my life. Uh, I've worked with coaches. I, you know, I am a coach. I mean, I see the value in it. So I have them working with me. Um, but also from a leadership perspective, the most effective leaders I've seen have also got this, this same trait, both the coaches and the leaders lead from behind. Mm -hmm. They lead from behind. And, and implicit in that is, you know, first of all, the person that is being worked with sees the value in, in transforming and in, in some mm -hmm. transformative uh, process that will result in a different outcome, a different mm -hmm. life, a different way of being right. or thinking. And if leaders can do that well, uh, all of a sudden you have an empowered workforce. Uh, you know, you've got folks that are you know, emotionally engaged because they, there's autonomy. Um, there's ownership of, of what's going on. And the same would be true in the coaching environment as well. Mm -hmm. um, in your work with you know, Bridge Business, yeah, how do you bring that conversation to life? Well, the, I, try, I try to use examples. Mm -hmm. And, and if, uh, if I'm working with a person that, uh, how, what, are the, what are the things that, you can do that can transform the organization in the way that people treat each other or the way that the organization is perceived or, uh, or the looking at those three levels, have you really thought about the top level? And that was one example where in a company, a biotechnology company I was working with, their business development person was in a conversation with somebody from a big customer, big, they were big corporate customer, important to the company. And the CEO walked by and he could see that the, the woman who was the, the uh, trying to deal with this person at the other end was having a lot of trouble. And, and uh, he, he sort of whispered, do you mind if I join in? And, and she said, okay. And he picked up the phone, heard all this abuse going on. And so he stepped right into the conversation and said, look, we're, we're working hard to serve you well, and we will not tolerate this kind of abuse. And that was a little more of the conversation than that, but essentially that was the essence of it. It, it, it took about, I think, 20 seconds for that, that situation to get around the company. Uh, mm -hmm. that, uh, I, don't, I don't know about that cus that customer's company, but, but certainly with, and so this said, the CEO cares about us. He protects us from abuse and he knows he's, he's uh, it's not just words he's saying. 
and and so the the idea of management by walking around mm-hmm. by expressing concern showing up when you need to is really important you know chris argus uh, out of harvard uh you know I mean, this is going to reference this in terms of values uh espouse values and values in action right um and what you're speaking to there is values in action you know every company i've ever worked with in some way shape or form has got a values statement and it's usually artwork that's hanging up on the wall someplace or it's <laughs> right. you know, yeah, right. embossed on a business card. Here's our values. And people are sitting on it or looking at it, but it's not alive. The, yeah. And to the degree that the espouse values don't match the values in action, you've got a problem. And I think Enron is probably one of the greatest uh, examples of that that I can think of. Okay, so, I lost you again for a few minutes oh, there. <laughs> oh, our connection. Okay, uh, well, I was just talking, you know, the distinction between espoused and uh, uh, values in action. And uh, the, I think, poster child for that mismatch would have been Enron. Oh, uh, yes. Oh, yeah. We go back into that because, they, right. you know, their, their espoused values were pretty dramatic. I mean, they were solid. It's kind of like, who could argue with this? Right. But you look yeah. at what actually happened and... Um, yeah. Well, people yeah, you, you mentioned symbols on the wall, but one of the things I was always fascinated by with uh, turnaround work is how symbols count. Yes. What's what is the what is the art on the wall? How how can you use art to demonstrate that we're different now? Uh, how do you can you use music? What the, those all those elements? And we actually, uh, that's a, one of my colleagues and I have used painting. Uh, how paint, uh, ask people individually, paint a picture of this organization and put yourself in it. And it's amazing what that sometimes shows. Yeah. And then you, we have them do a, a huge group painting of, with a team is paint, let's paint a vision of the future and then let's paint the road to get there. Yep. You know, I, you know, that reminds me of a, I, I was doing some work in a hospital system a number of years ago, and uh, one of the members of the executive team, you know, the, the chief, uh, the CMO, the chief medical officer, uh, was new to the position. And I remember going into her office, and, and, she, and she was literally new in the position. She'd never been a CMO on, uh, before. And in the office, as you walked in, and uh, uh, her uh, administrative assistant was sitting on the left-hand side as I walked in the door. And, and just mm-hmm. as I walked in the door, there's a wall in front of me. On this wall mm-hmm. is this poster. And I can't remember exactly what it was, but I can remember the gist, the gist of it. And it was kind of like the old Pogo uh, cartoon, I've met the enemy and the enemy is us. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. So this is the first thing I encounter when I walk in, and the enemy is us. And it's kind of like, well, this sucks. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I took her aside and I said, tell me, yeah, help me understand. Just, well, I like it. I'm going, but there's a messaging in place here that you may want to pay attention to. The next day it was gone and there was something you know, you know, fairly neutral in place, but she ended up putting yeah. a different poster in place that was right. a little bit more uplifting. But it was it was fascinating. And that was part of a turnaround project. Uh, that yeah. We were- yeah. <laughs> well, one of the things, and this is an active conversation among my colleagues about coaching, how important diagnosis is to the process. 
Yep. And I'm a, I've become suspicious of organizations who say, here's our process, we'll certify you in this, and everybody needs this. That's not been my experience. We use a variety of, of assessments, personal assessments that gives us some data plus interviews and hearing stories. And that process may go on for quite a few sessions before we really decide what does the program look like. Yeah. So understanding where you are is fundamental. Absolutely. And you know what, you know, you had mentioned that turnaround that you were doing in the lab uh, at IBM and you know, your initial assessment was it's going to take at least two years to do this. Right. And that flies in the face of most management's expectations about let's get it done yesterday. Right. So that diagnostic process, and I'd be curious because I've run into this myself, uh, you know, this hospital system I was talking about. Um, when, when, when we went to them and said, here's what you know, we plan on doing, what we think we can do, and this is yeah, the, the end result out of this, his question was, how much is it going to cost and how, much is it, you know, how long is it going to take? My answer was, it's going to cost you more than you want to pay, and it's going to take you at least three years to do this. Yeah, and right. Gulped, and he, yeah, to his credit, he said, okay. Um, <laughs> and then he had to go convince his board that that was going to be something that could be done. The, 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 the question here uh, in part has to do with how do you handle that temporal, you know, that time structure? Because diagnosis does take time and I can't get to where I'm going unless I know where I'm starting. So there's um, an importance uh, and a criticality to that diagnostic that well, is yes, and, and for you, a lot of managers you, to, to swallow. Well, if it's an organization, you can describe the diagnostic process. And even, even to the point of, of how, how long it's going to take, how many interviews you need to do, all the elements of, of that problem look at and got all that together. And then how, do, how long does it take, take me to develop the plan? How do I say the priorities? And of course, one of the things we look at when you do that is uh, here are all the things we have to do, and here we can put those in priority. But how, where are the things we can get the most impact for the quickest time? Yes. Because not just the managers, but also the people who have great anxiety about this new leader who's come in, this new team, then we have to help them understand we're going in a new direction we don't quite know all the details of what that looks like yet but here's here's the criteria for that new direction you know back, back to the values take back care of the, the people of we're going to be yep. concerned about you we're going to keep you informed and then uh so i hired uh, a project leader for this turnaround and that was the person who helped me follow the details and we said, here are the measurements, and we gave a report on that set of measurements every month that says, here's the progress we're making. Yeah. Transparency in relationship to the values. How right. are we doing? Not what are we doing, but how are we doing? The what will always be obvious, but the That's how right. are we doing it is, is, is key here. Yeah. Grant, where can people find out more about what you're up to? So the, uh, the handontheshoulder.com is the website for the book and me. We have 
some description of the coaching process there. We're expanding that. The, all the contact information is, is right there. I am on LinkedIn as well, which is probably the best case to find out all the other details of what I'm up to. <laughs> and, and we welcome conversations. So if someone just has a need and wants to chat, then look, look me up, uh, shoot me an email, and I'll be happy to help. Okay. And we'll make sure that this is in the show notes, handontheshoulder.com. And um, guest today has been Grant Tate, the CEO of Bridge Business Transformations. And, and Grant, I've loved this conversation. It's, it's uh, I mean, it, it does my heart good to know that you're out there doing this work. It truly does. Yeah. It makes a difference. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And working with someone like you is how the job gets done. <laughs> Mutual admiration society. Yeah, I love right. it. <laughs> so, folks, you've been listening to the Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. Uh, you can find out more about what I'm up to at blainebartlett.com. Uh, you know, take some time to nose around there. There's a number of you know things, articles, you know, programs, a uh, couple of videos, that sort of thing. Uh, links, links back to my YouTube channel, um, where there's a lot of stuff posted. So, um, until next time. Um, take some time to be very considerate about how you are being a center of distribution, not a center of accumulation. And you will find that your life works a whole lot better when you're in that position. Take care and we'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.